Glad to have you, and uh, I'm really excited about our topic tonight because it uh, really touches on uh, some of our our cultural issues and where we are and what do we do uh, in in how we respond to the things that are going on in our world. So I, I just want to start <clears throat> tonight, and while a few more are coming on, uh, let's see, I'm looking for the name. Can you read? Manoj and Dave Rocha. Oh, Manoj. Oh, my gosh. Good to see you guys. <laughs> Got a good text from you this afternoon. Thank you. I'm going to start with just a few uh, Sonship bullet points, and then I want to share with you some clarity that the Lord gave me about uh, the Sons and Daughters Conference that I want to mention uh, to you. Um, Manoj's little one says hi. That uh, reminds me of the triad. <laughs> uh, you can re- you can repeat this with me if you want to. Just a few bullet points from from uh, renewing our mind in sonship. I have received the spirit of adoption. I have received the, the spirit Holy of adoption, Spirit. The Holy Spirit who has placed me in the Son. Who has placed me in the Son. That's what adoption means. It's placement. The Father has chosen me in Jesus Christ. The Father has chosen me in Jesus Christ. And ordained me to sonship. And ordained me to sonship. Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. And because I am a son, I have nothing to hide. Because I am a son, I have nothing to hide. Nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. Nothing to prove. Nothing to prove. Nothing to lose. Nothing to lose. By the way, if you want to look at that in the scriptures, you'll dig it out in 1 Corinthians 13, the first four verses. You'll find it there. And then the sons are free. The sons are free. I, uh, because I use my freedom to serve others. Because I use my freedom to serve others. To share the Father's love for the Son in the world. To share the Father's love for the Son with the world. Let's do one more. The Holy Spirit lives in me now. The Holy Spirit lives in me now. Bringing me to the conviction of my right standing with the Father. Bringing me to the conviction of my right standing with the Father. And the reality that He is my Father. And the reality that He is my Father. Mm, Wow. The Lord has given, I was sharing with the LCU students this morning about seven wells to dig in sonship. Seven wells to dig. We'll be sharing that uh, at the Sons and Daughters Conference here. I was able to share it uh, there in Grand Junction, Colorado. Uh, last Monday, a week ago today, I was in prayer here at uh, Adventures in Prayer, and it was just like the heavens open. I got what we call a moment of clarity. I just saw the uh, Sons and Daughters Conference so clearly, and uh, I want to just share some of this with you so you can begin to pray into it. Some of these things are things we've not done before here. I, I see lots of father hugs at the conference, and I see us doing some formal father hugs like uh, ministering the Father's love and then having some fathers stand across the front and people just coming up and receiving hugs from the Father. We did that down in, uh, in Colombia, and we saw some big old machismo uh, Colombian men just break and weep in, in the, the Father's love. There's going to be a lot of uh, father hugs at um, our conference, then I see something that we've not done here before, and, and what I heard was one-liners from God. And uh, one-liners from God would be some word that God's spoken to you that he's just tattooed on your spirit, and you can repeat it, rehearse it at any time. For me, it's things like nothing to hide, nothing to prove, nothing to fear, nothing to lose. Like if you make the Holy Spirit your best friend, you'll have what you need to have when you need to have it. You've heard all of those things. Those are words that God spoke to me. And then what I saw was each of us, not like popcorn, uh, not real fast, but, but like prophecy, each one of us speaking out our one-liner that God has given to us. And as we speak it out, it becomes a word from God to everybody in the room. And then we receive that word. So it's really like a prophetic presbytery, but without the prophets, it's we become the prophets and we speak out what God has spoken to us. So, so if you're able to come to the Sons and Daughters Conference, get ready to give to us the one-liner. You know, we won't do any setup. It's not like, well, when I was 15, I was in Walmart and I was walking on aisle 13 and, and the Lord just came over me. No, no setup. It's just... Speak the line. Speak the word of the Lord. And uh, so we did this 
uh, in the Sons and Daughters Conference this weekend in Grand Junction, Colorado. And it, it was pretty amazing. I was, I was very encouraged to see how um, the things that God speaks to us in our spirit stay alive. They're eternal words. There's fire in those words. And when we speak those words to others, just as a word from God, then it really releases things in the hearts of people. And then I saw, I'm still just trying to share with you what I saw about our upcoming Sons and Daughters Conference. Holy Spirit does show us things before it happens, doesn't he? He shows us things to come. Uh, so I wrote it down. I said, I see those coming in, especially those coming in from out of town, but I see those coming in being poured over, over and over again, hands laid on them at least a dozen times. I see people being called to nations, etching your calling in their hearts, the Father etching his calling in people's hearts, missionaries of your love. So I think our Sons and Daughters Conference is going to have something of an apostolic uh, anointing on it as well, people sensing a calling into the next uh, step for them in their life, and especially missionaries of the Father's love. So uh, does that bear witness with anybody? Just nod your head if you say, yeah, I want some of that. I'll take some of that. So it's going to be very interactive. And, of course, I'm, I'm really looking forward, as we've been saying, I'm looking forward to introducing uh, many of you to friends that some of you know because you're on the forum. Andres Vargas, Andres and Natalia are going to be with us. They're going to be speaking. Can't wait to introduce you to them. Powerful, one of the best preachers I know in the world. And then uh, Jeremy and Holly Graman, of course, are going to be leading worship and speaking some. And that's going to be amazing, amazing, amazing thing. We're going to do Adventures in Prayer on Sunday morning like Holly and Jeremy lead worship every morning, just an hour of David's tent, just worshiping the Lord. That's going to be a lot of, of fun. Then we've got some guys, some uh, ontological um, consultants that are now moving in Sonship. They're going to be with us from Mexico, Puebla, Mexico, and I can't wait for you to hear some of their testimonies. The things God's doing there uh, are amazing. There's Nathan. Nathan, how are you doing? Nathan was with us in Grand Junction, Colorado uh, this weekend and uh, shared a powerful message himself on Saturday morning. So Nathan will be with us again. And uh, John Drackett, John Pastors there in Grand Junction, Colorado. Both of them will be sharing uh, workshops here in a couple of weeks. And uh, it's going to be a fun thing. We are, we are having a luncheon for pastors and pastor leaders on Friday. It's for people that either are pastoring a traditional church and they're asking God, show me how to see more transformation, or someone that wants to launch base camps, that kind of thing. So that's Friday. And uh, I hope all of you have already registered. I know we've, we're getting pretty close to maxed out. And uh, I was talking with John Drackett the other day. John and Nathan are the ones that really launched us into the idea of the Sons and Daughters Conference. And and uh, he told me, he says, now, if you have 120 people register, you can count on 150 or so. It's going to be more than, than actually show up. So we're probably maxed out, but uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be a, a good problem to have. Amen? Well, Father, we welcome you into this time together. We thank you for gathering us together uh, from different nations, different states, different cities. We thank you that uh, you give us family all over the world. We just bless you, Lord Jesus, that you bring us into yourself and make us sons and daughters. That means brothers and sisters together. Thank you for speaking to us today. I pray, Father, that you would give each one of us sticks to throw into the fire and that the fire would be roaring by the time we get through here in just a little bit. Would you speak to our hearts about how to respond to what we see happening in our culture and how to respond in that gracious spirit of sons and daughters that have nothing to prove? Nothing to hide, nothing to lose. So we give you glory for it in Jesus' name. Anything you want to Amen. say? Say hi. Say just hi. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am really, I'm really so excited about uh, the conference uh, in a couple of weeks. Well, just under two weeks, and so glad that Hannah, Michael are going to be joining us. Looking forward to yeah, cool. getting. Well, we met Michael in in Mountain Home, but getting to see you here and meeting Hannah for the first time. And, and how many do we have coming from that? Arkansas? We've got uh, One, two, three, two or three couples. Four, five, five adults and three kids, I think, coming according from to Arkansas. my count. Is that right, Nathan? Something like I that. I know of. 
Yeah. Michael, Jess, Hope, you, Amanda, and the kids. I think that's it. So, anyway, it's going to be a I fun I just want to know if Lucas group. is coming up from Brazil. Yeah? Cool. Very good. Well, we're looking forward to it. Andres, good to see you, my brother. Love you. I sure would like to be in that 68-degree weather right now. <laughs> you, you can't imagine. The weather is perfect. I think that I'm yeah. in heaven. I, I can't imagine. Quit rubbing it in, please. <laughs> Ours is getting better by the day. And uh, Grand Junction, Colorado was pretty nice as well. So we want to talk about this idea of sonship and how it relates to and impacts obedience and authority. There are a couple of prongs of authority uh, that, of course, immediately come to our mind. One of them we've had quite a bit of teaching about, uh, and if you want to go there, we can, and that is the authority of the believer or our authority in Jesus' name, our authority to heal the sick, cast out devils, do the works of Jesus. Of course, we understand that is a part of our ministry and mission to fulfill the Father's mission uh, as sons, and that would be to to preach Luke 4 and to live Luke 4, which is the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointing me to heal the brokenhearted, bind up the bruised, set the prisoners free, preach good news uh, to the poor. Uh, we know that. I'm going to just touch on it a little bit because there's plenty in the New Testament that connects sonship and authority, and especially when it comes to Jesus understanding his own authority and then he turns around and gives us that same authority. But what I really want to get to, and what I'm trying to do is get to it as quickly as I can so you can have more time to talk. I want us to talk about what it means to submit to civil authorities that may or may not uh, be looking like tools in the Father's hands. We all know what Romans 13, 1 says, that our civil leaders, all authority is from God, and those leaders are, are sent to do the ministry of God on our behalf. And, of course, Paul was writing under the authority of a Caesar who looked anything like anything but like a, a minister of God for good. And so we don't really have that excuse. I'll just touch on a few things, and then I want to get to this piece. If some of you want to go back and, and talk about the authority of sons to do the works of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus in that way that we can certainly go there. It's, uh, it's wide open for you. Uh, number one is what does authority look like on sons and daughters? Well, we know from John chapter 1, verse 12, that as many as receive him, believe on him, to them he gives what? Authority to be the sons of God. And I've got a lot of translations on that, and I'm going to do you a favor and skip over that. Uh, because you can find the translations on it. Then John 3.35, and of course you'll find most of these in John. John 3.35, the Father loves the Son. Listen to this now. This is one of seven places in the New Testament where, where the declaration is, in sonship all things are yours. So in John 3.35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. Uh, this is an all things are yours kind of an idea because when you come into the sonship that is Jesus and the ongoing ministry of Jesus, then guess what? He's going to tell us, I give you all authority. Therefore, I've been given all authority. Therefore, you go in my name and do these same works. Then uh, Luke ten twenty two, all things have been delivered to me by my father. There's another all things, isn't it? There's nothing barred, no holds barred here. Jesus knew where he came from. That's the next one, John 13, 1. He knew where he came from. He came from the bosom of the Father. Uh, John 1 tells us, from the bosom of the Father he came. He knew he had all authority, and he knew he was returning to the bosom of the Father. And that knowing is what allows him to respond to hell's biggest punches the way that he did. So let me read it to you again. Luke 10, 22, all things have been delivered to me by my Father. He's been given authority over. And no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So you're sitting here because the Son has chosen to reveal the Father to you, and you've received that revelation of the Father's love. So he's giving all authority to us to continue on the ministry of Jesus. So a couple of questions that comes to my mind, and we can talk about them if you want to. Uh, one is, to what degree is our authority 
contingent upon knowing and acting congruent to the Father's will. In other words, does it mean that we have to move into sonship to lay a hold and exercise that authority, or can you do so without a revelation of sonship? What is the impact of sonship upon that authority? Is this why we doubt our authority? Uh, because we doubt that we are living in a perfect reflection of the Father's will. Of course, we know that any time uh, we let that kind of idea come in, a, son, uh, a sin consciousness instead of a son consciousness, then, then we're not going to be bold in our confidence of that authority. But to what degree do we have to have a revelation of sonship to move in it? And Jesus points to this fact. Many will say, have we not cast out demons in your name? And then I will say, sorry, I never knew you. So there's an element where the power and grace of God works through those who believe even no matter how broken we are. Aren't you glad for that? <laughs> God's still doing mighty miracles through Peter. Peter getting healed, just getting close, as close as his shadow. And, and Peter still hadn't gotten a revelation that this thing is, is supposed to be outside the Jewish community, that Gentiles are, are to be let in. So we can see these works happening. If you have something you want to share with that. The second question I just came to in this idea of authority is, does this mean that people can heal the sick and do works and wonders of God without a relationship with him? Can people do works and wonders without a relationship? Well, we have a very unique story here at Table of Friends with uh, a business leader named Cable, uh, Caleb Brown. He was born and raised in a Mormon home, but he began to study all the religions of the world, and he saw the, the Jesus in the New Testament did not look like the Jesus in the Book of Mormon. And he asked Jesus, if, if, if that's really you, then I want to see that. I want to see that. And, and for 30 days, Jesus healed everybody that Caleb laid hands on or prayed for before Caleb gave his heart to the Lord. He was still addicted to pornography and not a believer. He was in quiz mode. And Jesus was healing everybody he came to. Now, that's, that's a sign and a wonder to me. And, and the cool thing is Caleb is still doing uh, those mighty works in his ministry now. It does raise questions for us, doesn't it? Then we see in John 13, 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, here's all things again, and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and did what? Beat his chest and told her by how great he was. <laughs> Took a platform of minister and a microphone. No, he knelt down and he served those that were with him. Anybody want to just jump in on that? Where, where do you see sonship impacting our effectiveness of ministry in the ongoing work and ministry of Jesus? Doing the works of the Father, the gifts of the Spirit that we've been talking about. Uh, any thoughts? Who wants to jump in first? Raise your hand. We'll call on you. If you'd rather get to the civil authorities kind of an issue and, and that, we can jump there. But uh, maybe we've just stirred enough of the pot that you'd want to ask a question or share your thoughts on it. Just unmute your mic and go. Yes, I'll, I'll start off with the thought. Well, you guys get the courage to jump in and say something. I think it's interesting that you know, we always try to, I think our, our Western enlightenment mindset always wants to put things in boxes and categories and say it's this and it's not that. And I think just in looking at those examples and even looking at those questions, it's yes and yes, and it's no and no. It's, it's both and. I think sometimes we confuse the mercy of God that we see working through, let's say, a very flawed vessel. We confuse that as well. Look at the authority that person right, has. right. And sometimes we see a, a person functioning in the authority of as a son of God, and we say, well, look at what God's doing through that person. Of course, we know that God is always the one working through a person. But I think we don't necessarily rightfully or rightly discern uh, what's going on when we see God acting. So I think the ideal combination is where we have, we know the authority we have, and we're so submitted to the Father, to the Father's will, that he can freely flow from us, and, and it's, it's both and. It's, it's God working and, mm -hmm. the, and the believer using the authority working together, mm -hmm. and there's really no distinction between the two. So I think it's a, yeah, I think it's a, it's a difficult thing to discern. So a question for you, get you to unmute your mic, jump in. Uh, why do you think God heals people 
using very broken vessels. Why do you think God uses very broken people to do mighty works and miracles? Clearly he does. Uh, Clearly we see through even the recent Pentecostal history, uh, great revivalist A.A. Allen, different ones who were very broken, drinking alcohol and going out on the stage and God healing people. Why, why wouldn't God just shut the valve off, the power valve? Why wouldn't he just shut that off if we had sin in our life? I would say that the purpose that God still uses these people is because there are still people that, uh, like A.A. Allen and some of those people who are going to be influenced by their message, by their ministry, by God working through them. And so God loves those people. And I think and it's also God demonstrates his own love towards, let's say, the person who is failing that I'm still going to use you. This isn't about merit or behavior. You know, there's this there's the father's heart is to capture the heart of the world. And he's not he doesn't something we talked about at the at the conference was that, you know, we look at the Corinthian church. It was known for its miracles, its signs its, and wonders and its prophecy. And like there was incest, there was drunkards, there was exploitation of the poor, like. So it's like God loves his people, and I think that that's the answer. It's the Father's heart. I love it. It goes back to the Father's heart. Why? Why does God move? Because people are hungry and broken. Who's driving in the car over here? Uh, Andres? Thank I, 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 was, I was thinking about the, the question. Uh, is How can God use broken people? And the, the question that I have is, is anybody whole? I mean, all of us, we are broken. So it's not about us. It's about him and it's his power. It's not our power. But mm. also I was thinking when you were talking about, you know, like the introduction, I was thinking about Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to ask Chiki, please, to read it from the verse 18 to the 23, please. Did you ask for a particular... The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And I was thinking about about that that that, uh, that verses, and I, my my concern or, or my prayer is is to to find out what was about Paul. You know, what did he see? What did he experience in that encounter with Jesus? That he's talking about this really gospel, this really good news, and I think that is is all about believing. That's that's what he's praying. No, I'm praying for your eyes to be enlightened, for you to understand. Finally, understand is something that is already is inside of us, and and it is inside of us. I mean, all all of the church, not a local church, but 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 all all of the church, all of the people that is believing or have been believing in Jesus Christ and in His power and His he, the the power of the resurrection. So I think that that's the 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 idea of authority that we have to have as in, in the sonship uh, journey. Beautiful. Thank you. Who's driving the car? Somebody's driving the car, raise their hand. Yeah, well, it's good. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> can you guys hear me? Yes, yes tell us your, remind us your name because we don't see it on the screen, so. Oh, no, oh, my name is Zach. I'm with uh, oh, Faith Foundry yeah. Church in Roseburg. Beautiful. Zach, okay. <laughs> the so, Facebook so comment. <laughs> right. Uh, the question, you know, is how can God use broken people, you know, or people that seem like to be living in, in separation um, to still do signs and wonders? Well, the, it's all about your viewpoint, you know, who, who's viewing who is broken. You know, God isn't viewing anyone as broken. He, he considers everyone a son and daughter. And so he's not looking at our actions to base how much blessing or how much miracles we can do it's not that type of system you know he's, he's not a reward-based system he's looking at our heart posture he knows who we are he's using he's willing to use anyone and anything at all that is willing to submit itself to his mission which is to reveal you know his his good opinion of us here on earth 
And so I don't care if, you know, if, if you're like a, a pastor who's sinning or in pornography or in addiction, he knows your heart posture. And if I'm willing to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus, he's going to use that. Now, of course, you know, I may not, you know, if I'm, not, if I'm the one that's in sin, I may not, you know, feel like I'm worthy. I may not feel all these things, but all these good things are happening to me. Um, that's just because God loves all of us. You know, we're able to all preach. I mean, it, I, there's a song I listen to that um, has some pretty good lyrics to it. And it, 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 he puts it really well this way. He says, if, if I truly was to reap all that I sowed, I'd be a dead man. And, and that's true because yes. God, God just is... totally redeems everything in our lives so much. He does it so much so that sometimes the, the bad things that happen in our lives, it looks like he planned for that bad thing to happen. But, you know, that's not true because he's not the author of death. Um, and so, right. really, again, to answer the question, he sees us all as sons. We're all viewed the same and we're all viewed as worthy and we're all yes. viewed as whole in his eyes we're the ones that don't view ourselves as whole and worthy we're the ones saying that how can this be how how can this good thing be happening to me in the midst of all this awful stuff i'm doing and yeah. so it's really a completely different lens that we have to view life through you know right. am i worthy am i whole am i who god really says i am and like who paul says we are so the sin consciousness and and living those things don't affect god as much as it affects us isn't that right so you think about Samson, who had the power of God on his life because of the vow they made, um, but because of his sin, it weakened his consciousness to flow in that. And here's the deception, is if I think I can keep on sinning, if I think I can just keep on living in sin and the power of God keeps working, there's the deception. It is God's faithfulness in his heart but we also have to live in the sensitivity as sons that when the Father speaks to us, we listen to that and obey. So we're not saying or suggesting that we can live any way we want to, and God's going to keep moving. The reality is we'll move away from God. If we're depending on other things to strengthen us and to fill in the holes in our life, we'll move away from God. He's not moving away from us. And so, so yes, the authority and here's where I think the, the sonship revelation impacts us when we realize we don't want to offend the Father. We want to please the Father. We're willing to serve not as a slave but as one who has, been, has received much and then gives much. And so we live in the sensitivity of the Father's voice and quick uh, to repent, quick to respond to his voice, they that are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And because of God's great love for the broken world, he will use anybody that will partner with him. I think, I and think I'm grateful that's for the it. key. I think when, when we think about specifically the, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the manifestations of God, when historically a lot of the church has looked at those as sort of like the badges of spiritual maturity mm -hmm. or, spiritual, or, or, or spiritual superiority, we think that if God is using me, then that must, that must be God's stamp of approval on my life. But if we understand that the manifestation gifts are simply the manifestation of God's compassion for the broken, for the one needing the gift. The gift is not for the person through whom the gift operates. The gift is for the person who's broken, who needs the gift. Right. So, and God will use whomever is willing to deliver the gift. So even if the, you know, if, if we use the simple pizza analogy, if, the, if somebody's hungry and God wants to give them a pizza, the condition of the box is really secondary, right? And um, But I, I think with this idea that what happens is if we believe the other, if we believe that God's using us is some mm -hmm. somehow his stamp of, of approval, right. then we interpret the that mm -hmm. to, yeah, it feeds the orphan heart mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And it leads us to live in this deception that nothing needs to change in my life where all the while the, the father is trying to draw mm -hmm. us in his love. I think, um, oh, where did Jeremy and Holly go? Because they had been raising their hand for a long time. I'd love to hear what they say. Jeremy and Holly, did y'all have to go to your board meeting? They usually have a board oh, meeting on these Monday here. nights. So, uh, well, they might pop back on. Uh, if I can, let me see if I can take us to this next point. Because I think really, if we can understand... Did they just, so there's there was, a shift. There's one more raised hand. Okay, there's a raised hand over That's there. That's Sylvia. 
Sylvia, you still on? The screen is so far from us here, and I don't have my contact lens in, so I can't see the names at the bottom of the screen. Sylvia, taking a break. Are you here? Okay. We're going to keep moving. I want to I just wrap up what we know from the authority that flows from God to us. Matthew 28, 18 and 19, we know Jesus says, All authority has been given to me. How many times have we heard this already? All authority has been given to me. This is, this is a son who knows he's a son. He's walking in the Father's love. And there's a boldness because he's walking in the Father's love. He doesn't misuse the authority. The authority doesn't trip his ego. The authority is the tool, the, the motivation, the, the gasoline that drives him to serve. So then we know Luke chapter 4, that that authority is given to us to continue the work of the ministry in, in binding up the brokenhearted, as we've said, to reconcile, 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21. He's given us a, what, a ministry of reconciliation. And that ministry of reconciliation is not pointing a finger and saying, you bad sinner, you need to come you know, be like us. It's quite the opposite. He tells us the ministry of reconciliation is to declare that God is no longer holding against men their trespasses. He's canceled our sins. So, you know, we still live in the consciousness of that, and that is the power and, and the reason for the cross. And then we see this very unusual statement in John 20 that I want to challenge you with it. And it comes with the authority that's ours as sons. He says, whomever, he breathes on the disciples. This is where they're born again. John 20, 22, 23. Uh, none of the disciples are born again until Jesus is raised from the dead, and then he meets them in this upper room in the evening, and he breathes on them and says, Receive the Spirit. They're born again in that moment. And then he says, Whosoever sins you remit, they shall be remitted, and whosoever sins you retain, they shall be retained. That is awesome authority. That is powerful authority. And I don't think we've really understood that. I think we've been afraid to use that authority to just tell people, your sins are forgiven. You are clean. I actually think the Catholic Church does that better than we do in terms of being quick to speak forgiveness and cleansing to people. And that's part of our, our ministry of binding up the brokenhearted remit, declare forgiveness. You are forgiven. And uh, he gives us authority to do that. And then Mark 16, of course, to heal the sick, lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. That's awesome authority. Demons have to submit to that authority. We understand that. And then Luke 10 says that through this authority, we can impart peace. I love it. He tells the disciples, you go into the cities, you find a man of peace. You go into their house. If they don't receive you, you just go somewhere else. But you leave your peace on that house. I don't know about you, uh, I'd be interested to see anybody wave your hand. Uh, have you made a habit of imparting your peace, maybe verbally and with a conscious effort, imparting your peace on places where you go? Uh, have, you, have you been taught to do that? I haven't, but I know I'm learning how to do it, to go into a home and impart my peace there so that when I leave, there's something there that wasn't there when I came in. Anybody been taught to do that? Anybody, you've, you've made that a, a part of your lifestyle? Just to speak that, impart your peace, make it an act of faith. I don't see anybody waving their hand, but maybe we ought to ask the Lord to talk to us about that. Let's ask the Father to talk to us about imparting our peace on a place when we go and begin to see what happens. Sound good? Let's go to this second part. I want to get to it quickly because I think this is where we're, we're really going to scratch where we itch and and uh, find something that we need to talk about tonight. How are sons of God to respond to civil authorities, especially those who abuse their power? Okay, and here is where orphan thinking and sonship thinking, I think, approach this two very, very different ways. Why? Well, orphans have to prove who they are, and they have to, they have to gain ground, and uh, they, they will use all kinds of techniques to do that, and we're very defensive, if you're not sure of who you are, you're going to be very defensive. You, you find people that, that don't have a strong case, they're the ones that yell the loudest. <laughs> they're, they're screaming and hollering because they don't have a strong sense of what they're doing. So we want to note the difference between attitudes and actions. And, and I'm just going to lay something out here, and then I want us to talk about it. And it, it is that what Watchman Nee said probably 70 years ago. Watchman Nee said, um, obedience is relative, but submission is absolute. Just think about that. Obedience is relative. Obedience is an action. Submission is an attitude of heart. 
Okay. Obedience is an action. Submission is an attitude of heart. And I'll just give you four examples from scriptures. The first, let me see, I've got, I've got, uh, just so you can run quickly to them or jot a note, Daniel chapter three, when the three Hebrew children are called on by Nebuchadnezzar to bow down, worship his idol, when the music plays, you're going to bow down. And they said, we're not going to bow down. Our God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't deliver us, we'll not bow down. Well, that sounds very defiant, doesn't it? It sounds like they don't have a submissive attitude. They're simply saying that's not an action that we're going to take. We're only going to worship the Lord our God. How do we know that they did not have a rebellious attitude? Well, because when it came time for them to suffer the consequences of that disobedience, they willingly walked in to the fiery furnace. They believed that if they obeyed the higher authority, the supreme authority, even though the under authority, the delegated authority, was calling for them to do something against their conscience, if they obeyed the higher authority, the higher authority then would be responsible to take care of them. So watch how this happens. Four different times we'll sit in the Scripture. First, the three Hebrew children, they disobey the authority, the delegated authority, the king, but with a submissive spirit. So when he lays a hold of them to throw them in the fire, they willingly walk in. You don't see heel marks going to the fiery furnace. They walk in. In fact, who's the first ones dying there? Well, it's the guys that are attending the fire, isn't it? So then what happens? This is a powerful picture. Now the king looks into the fiery furnace and what does he see? I see a fourth like as the son of God. What is that telling us? If we'll submit to the highest authority, keep our attitude right, Jesus will be in the fire with us. Then Daniel, who was also a part of this same group, Daniel later on is, the, they've got the underlings. Uh, they're talking to the king. They're lobbying the king, trying to get Daniel in trouble. He's got to quit this praying in the window. And so they pass an edict. You can't pray your five times a day. Daniel just keeps opening the window and praying his prayers. What's he doing? He's doing civil disobedience. He's disobeying the delegated authority because he will not disobey the highest authority. So he prays, and in doing so, we're going to see now what's in his heart. What's his attitude? We see his action, but what's his attitude? Well, when the king takes him to throw him in the lion's den, same thing. He willingly goes. And then we see God puts the lions to sleep right in the midst. God takes responsibility for Daniel when Daniel obeys the Lord, even if it means disobeying the king. Then, of course, we see Jesus. What does he do? Well, he, he takes the full brunt, the full brunt of the consequences of our sin, the full brunt of the consequences of our disobedience. And how does he do that? He does it by obeying the highest authority. He obeys the Father. Even when the Pharisees tell him to shut up, when Pilate tells him to shut up, when they all are accusing him and trying to drive him out, even trying to find a way to kill him, all he does is keeps obeying the highest authority. Yes, they hang him. Yes, they crucify him. But is God with him? Of course he's with him. He says, even if I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. And God proved that, raised him from the dead. Then let's look at the apostles in Jerusalem. And this is in Acts chapter 6. And, is it, yeah, thanks. Acts chapter 4, 18 through 21. And uh, they're commanded not to preach anymore in Jesus' name. And I find Peter's response very interesting. He says, whether, listen, now Peter can get in your face. You know he can. Peter's Peter pretty salty, right? But listen to his voice. He says, whether this be right in your sight or not, we don't know. We won't say. We're not going to accuse you. But what we will say is we must continue to preach in Jesus' name. And so they flogged him, and they didn't resist. They didn't say, no, we're sons of God. You don't, you don't have a right to flog us. No, they willingly submitted to the flogging, and not only submitted to it, they rejoiced in the opportunity to suffer for Jesus' name by disobeying the civil authority. So here's the thing I want you to see, and then I want us to talk about it. Do you see any place in Scripture where a believer disobeys in a spirit of rebellion? Do you see any place where God tells them, well, you just toughen up and you just tell them, 
where they can go and you can have any kind of attitude you want. I think there's something here that's very powerful for us as sons. Orphan-minded people cannot do this. Orphan-minded people cannot lay their life down if they think they're being wronged. Because everything in an orphan's heart is about right versus wrong. I'd rather be right than be rightly related. When you get a revelation of your sonship, you would rather stay right with the Father, right with the Father, and right with others, even if you're being wronged. And so Paul says it point blank. He's talking to the Corinthians about how they're taking each other to court and airing out their dirty laundry. And he says, wouldn't it be better for you to suffer wrong, be wronged, and keep your relationships right? That's the spirit of sonship. So I'll just submit that to you and just see where where do we go with that now in this 21st century when we, when we know now that there are those in leadership that are really trying to depopulate uh, the planet, trying to kill people, trying to destroy nations, uh, and we could give you all kinds of info on that, but that's not what this is about. I'd like to hear from you about what you think the sonship impact is on how we can respond to the civil authorities in our, in our government and in our life. So Nathan's had his hand up for a while, so. Go, Nathan. Nathan. Yeah, um, when I was asking the Lord about this, because this is the first time I really thought about civil authority and sonship, and, you know, I asked, what's to, what, you know, why is it, I know it's important. Hannah can tell you, Master's Commission, Submission Authority, something we were grilled, you know, just drilled, rather, into us, and, uh, I, you know, just asking the Father about it, and goes back to the Father's heart. I think the answer goes back to the Father's heart in the re- redemption and restoration of His children. And the Lord led me to First Timothy chapter two. It says, "I urge you, then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God." And this is what stuck out. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so then the Lord led me to um, Proverbs 21, 1. It says, the, heart, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, like the rivers of water he turns it, which wherever he wishes. And so um, some of the uh, versions say he turns it to those towards those who please him. And so that's where that please just jumped out. So I think, you know, with, with how we, we see civil authorities, we submit, like you said, I think uh, you said it, Washman Nee said it, um, John Bevere says that there's uh, bondage and rebellion and freedom and submission, you know, and so with, with be submitting to authorities, God, in a way, if our heart is postured towards all being saved, all coming to the knowledge of their true identities as sons and daughters, we'll pray, we'll petition heaven and as that pleases god god takes the king's heart and turns it towards us and and he'll create supernatural ways to to give i guess like when when um oh i lost it it's gone never mind i had a biblical example and it's gone but uh that it gives us the ability to to live and do good works and and just be the light you know and if and if i believe this is a promise that as we serve and as we submit and as we pray for, not in a combative way, but trusting God with our lives and also trusting God with theirs. There's this turning, the Father turns the King's heart towards us in a way that impacts all people, including the King. Yeah, yeah. I think, can I say something? Yeah. I think it's interesting that, that you mentioned that and just something just struck me in that, in that passage. We, those of us who live in the United States, live under a culture that is very much focused on our rights as citizens. And many times when we read a scripture like that one, uh, where it says that we should pray for the kings and those in authority so that we may live peaceable and quiet lives, at least the way I've, I've interpreted and I've, and I've heard it expressed in prayer, is that if we pray for them, then they will turn so that everything will be the way we want it to so that we can have peaceable and quiet lives. So we get back to our comfort zone. Right. <laughs> so, it's, so, so it's about my rights, and, 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 and we're, we're going to twist their arms so that they'll conform to what we want, to what we expect. And I think the, the orphan heart certainly wants to pull, it's always wanting to pull the levers of control mm-hmm. To, to fabricate a desired outcome. 
yes. say it that way. Yes. So I was really impacted. I was reading a book on contentment, and I forget the author, but he he includes a quote from Brother Yoon. Some of you might know Brother Yoon, the heavenly man, a uh, man who was in prison for the gospel for many, many, many years, and just like an incredible revelation of of what true freedom looks like. And he's in Germany now, I believe, as a refugee. And they were asking him about uh, how they deal with the government in China being very oppressive, especially very antagonistic toward the church. And and his quote, I, I can't quote it verbatim, but it's something to the effect of, he said, we never pray against our government. We have come to understand that God can work and accomplish his will no matter what our government structure looks like. We just pray that in all of that, we may be pleasing to him. Mm-hmm. And so making that connection with what Nathan just shared from Timothy Paul's letter to Timothy, the idea that as sons of God, we come to this place of contentment that we are going to live peaceable and quiet lives no matter what our circumstances look like. So we don't have to exercise our authority to move the lever so that everything turns our way, but that we are so secure in the Father's love, knowing of his presence, that no matter what happens, no matter who's in authority, no matter what levers they're pulling, we can be at peace and we become a witness to the world in having this peace that passes all understanding, right? So it, it's, it's, we can take these things and turn them into cliche, but I think here's where you see a very practical application of the difference between sons of God and orphans. Now, does that mean that we don't pray, that we don't pray for certain outcomes in governmental decisions? No, absolutely. We pray for those, but it's not a matter of exercising our authority and demanding things, but it's, again, it's a posture of the heart that says we're going to come into agreement with God for his will to be done, but no matter what happens, I'm still at peace, I'm still content, I'm still going to ha- live in the joy of the Lord and share that with a broken world. And Cheeky ministered a message uh, this last weekend that I hope she'll minister uh, at our Sons and Daughters Conference in a couple of weeks. And it, it adds a, a new piece to our whole transformation uh, outlook. And she talks about how if we try to move from Egypt straight into the promised land, we end up carrying a whole lot of orphan thinking with us. And I tell you, what's worse than not having a lot of stuff? It's having a lot of stuff and not knowing how to deal with it. Just think about a bunch of orphans having vineyards they didn't plant, houses they didn't build, and lands that they didn't possess in their own power. So what does God do? God puts them in a wilderness time where he resets their mindset. The, the Pentateuch was written by Moses during the wilderness journeys to retrain them from orphan slave thinking to warrior thinking. How do I own my own land? How do I possess what's mine? How do I drive out giants? Well, we would not think of 40 years in the wilderness as being a loving father kind of a plan, right? We wouldn't say, God, you don't have my best interest in mind. You drive me out in the desert. He had to have this space in between, and it doesn't often, often it doesn't look like what we think God would do, and yet can we as sons of a loving father believe that sometimes he has to do stuff, sometimes there's correction that we don't even think we deserve, and of course, the Hebrew writer says, Shall not the father of spirits, I love the way he phrases that, the father of spirits. He's not disciplining you after your flesh. He's disciplining you after the good that he wants to bring into your spirit. So here's one other thought I want to to throw in here because I want some of you that have not had a chance to jump on yet to jump on. If we were in a room around a big round table, what I would be doing is trying to draw everyone out uh, to talk, and I know some of you don't want to talk, and we're not trying to make you talk. But here's the question Have you ever heard the submission idea taught in the church as action? In other words, if you're submissive, you just won't disobey. You roll over period. and do whatever they tell you to do. Right. Yeah. You're just going to roll over and let them walk all over you. You're going to be a doormat. Have you ever heard submission not as an attitude of heart, but as an action, how you respond to authorities? Just roll over and do it. See, for me, I'm just going to give you a little bit of personal. You live in your own conscience. I live with my conscience. I'm, I'm not taking a shot, 
not because I feel rebellious, but because I feel like God has given me a higher command, and that is to live in the power of his resurrection life. I don't have any fear of the shot. There was a time when I did. And right in the middle of COVID, I was declaring, you know, on early morning prayer, some of you were there, I declare, I'm not taking the shot. And then the Lord challenged me. He said, Carrie, what are you afraid of? And I said, I don't think I'm afraid of anything. He says, then, then why are you uh, being so boisterous about the shot? And this is what he said to me. He said, no matter what happens to you, I can be your healer, whether it's from a shot or from some infection. Now, he didn't tell me, go take the shot. I shared that with a table of friends, and I had a bunch of people come up to me after church. So, so did you get the shot? No, I didn't say I took the shot. I'm free from the fear of the shot or, or, not. or the disease without the shot. I'm free from the fear of contagious diseases, and I'm free from the fear of vaccinations. Now that leaves me free to just do whatever the Lord tells me to do. That's what I'm going to do. But it also gives me the power to resist and to disobey civil authorities if I feel I have to do that to stay in obedience to the higher authority. Back to the question. Have any of you heard a teaching or received teaching that would say to be submissive means you have to act a certain way. You certainly don't disobey. Anybody heard that? Uh, some form of that? Anybody that hasn't spoken already that would like to jump in about that or something else? Go ahead, Hannah. Hey, guys. <laughs> Hi, Hannah. Hi. Um, so I definitely, maybe not in manner of speaking, but definitely in practice have felt that in ministry and um you know, when you don't submit, there are repercussions and there are consequences for not um, doing exactly even unspoken things. Um, so, yeah, that's been something that I have walked through, probably, you know, submitting to my higher authority and God and not man. Um, so uh, I don't know if you catch it or not. You, you might want to go back and listen to this. But what you just did in your statement, when you don't submit... So you liken submission to an act, right? And so what I want to underscore is that the submission is your attitude of heart. When you disobey. Disobedience or obedience is the action. You can disobey in a perfectly submissive spirit. That's what I want to say to you. So because you've received that kind of training and dialogue, it's very easy to, to have those oh man we always kind of use them we always use them as synonymous I think that's mm. that's the most the most common way is that we we make submission and obedience yeah. be one and the you're same. not submissive to leadership what they mean is you won't do everything I tell you well, to do can I right. can I jump in as a as a female talking about well, the the idea of of submission for women yes women being submissive to their husbands a lot of people interpret as you must do whatever your husband tells you to do. Mm. And that's really not what submission is. And I always say submission that is demanded is not submission at all. It's mm -hmm. coercion. Yes. And so, come so, on, girl. So, come so on. women, yeah. So it's one thing to be, it's one thing to be submitted to your husband. Yes. Doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that you can't disagree. It doesn't mean that you that you don't have a voice in the matter. Especially if the husband can, is asking you to do things that go against your conscience. Right. 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 Or even, yeah, even it may not be a matter of conscience. It may be something that I haven't heard God for myself on that yet. And I, and I really want to hear. So it may not be something that's directly opposed. Maybe it's like, I'm going to maintain a submissive attitude, but I'm asking God to speak to me mm. himself, you know? Mm. And I, and I think that the attitude of submission is really greatly or largely misunderstood mm. or, or downplayed. And it really should be a lot more important. Brings us back to a basic Sonship fundamental. What's the father saying? What is the father saying? When you hear what the father tells you to do, they may be telling everybody, they may be telling you at your job, you got to do this, you got to do that. In the school, you got to do this, you got to mask up, or you got to do that. Uh, you may feel incredible pressure, as we have felt in the last two or three years. We've seen people in our own church who were working in the medical system felt the pressure to do a certain thing oh, if they're going to keep their job, you know. And so you have to come back to, what's the Father telling me to do? What's the Father telling me? If the Father will speak to you in these things, there will be a faith created in your heart. You will be able to move in against the current with a submissive spirit. 
still a submissive spirit. And can I say, I think it's important too that within the church, when we see when we see people acting as orphans, then whatever your conviction is has to be the right conviction for everybody else. <laughs> and we end up judging one another and and pressuring one another to conform to what to our, our convictions are. But so as sons, we hold that loosely and we say. Do whatever your conscience tells you. Do whatever Holy Spirit is telling you. Yes. And let's agree to love one another, mm. even if our convictions differ, because it really, that's not the issue. Yes. Right? That's Is such it? a powerful, powerful perspective, and I hope you grab that. Sons will allow others to be on a different page, at a different place in their journey. Orphans insist on everybody doing it my way, because we're insecure about what we believe, and we have to prove something. Who has not gotten to share something yeah, yet that Cody you'd like to? Cody. Yeah, Cody, go ahead. If you're ready, then Sylvia. Um, so uh, I don't really want to say where or who, but during uh, first COVID, uh, we were taught, um, our speaker shared with us that love looks like wearing a mask. Uh, conforming to the patterns of the world is how I read that. And I just could not get into agreement with that. It, it really, I was wrestling with that big time. And uh, when I, you know, asked the father about it, cause I just, I could not find myself to get into agreement with this lie that was being passed through everybody through fear. And when I asked the father, he said, why would you fit in? when I created you to stand out. And if the world's already covered in this blanket of darkness and fear, well, who goes into a room, lights a light and puts a bowl over it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, for me, I wanted to submit to uh, my teachers at the time. Uh, and that was a very big challenge for me because I could not find myself to submit to love looks like wearing a mask. But again, if submission is an attitude, I think you probably did submit. You probably kept a good heart towards them. You didn't stand up and say, I'm not going to do that. But your action could be disobedience. Mm -hmm. Again, separating the action from the, the attitude is, is important. And again, uh, even in your sharing that, you're not telling us that we have to do the same thing you're doing. You're saying this is what the Lord said to you. And this is where we keep coming back in our relationships. Let's give each other room. What's the Lord saying to you to do? You may be in a job. You may be in a situation where the only way you have authority to speak to people and influence is, is if you go a certain way. We, we can't know that for everyone. Right. And I think that's what Paul alludes to in... I always one forget where it places. is. One of those letters, Corinthians, <laughs> where he talks about the, the matters of conscience and don't use your freedom in Christ if it if that's going to hurt somebody else. Romans 14. So so in so in that sense in like I would say generally speaking the the statement let's use that one as an example because it's just a good current one wearing a mask is love or love is wearing a mask. Well, in some situations it may very well be, but not across the board. Right? So the the again I, I think the submissive attitude is Lord what are you telling me to do in this situation and in this situation he may call for one thing and in a different situation he may call for something else so we need to have the freedom and I think that's part of the freedom of sons and the authority of sons is that we don't take blanket statements but that we're always in conversation with the father saying father what would you have me do in this situation so I think that the lines are not as black and white as we would like for them to be. Right. They are more, they're relational. Right. I can think of, for example, my, my 92-year-old dad. If, for example, he was afraid that someone without a mask would infect him, I would have no problem putting a mask on so for I could go sake. in and minister to him, talk to him, be with him without him being afraid that somehow I'm going to hurt him. I'd do that for his sake. I love him that much. I would be uncomfortable, but I would do it. I would take the, the, the high road, if you will. Do the thing that I don't feel like I have to do to love somebody else. But in a relationship. If that's the case. In a like relationship. Not, not just for anybody no, that not, I meet in the street. Not for the whole world, mm -hmm. but for the relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do we have time to hear what from Sylvia? Yeah. Sylvia, go ahead. Hello, everyone. Please, Chiki, yeah. jump in to help me to be brief and clear. 
because you know the story behind that. But well, just to share with you that maybe a month ago or two months ago, the Lord invited me to be in, to step in into a place of obedience and to be submitted to Him with some situation at my daughter's school. Um, she is being part of the high school for I mean for this this is her, her last year, but she has been part of the a musical uh, team, and I'm. We were not in total agreement of the musical that they choose for this year. And I was just rustling in my heart. And the Lord says, just a step in, in obedience and doing a submission to my heart. Then I decided to write a letter to the school. And by my surprise, the superintendent office, they called me. And they said, can, you, can we talk about this letter? And then they called me and they gave me the opportunity just to speak up. But... Um, I just learned by by this experience that is not about what I'm just I don't want to have the the results on my behalf, but I learned to step on in a sonship, a heart with obedience and submission. And it so, was it was a really good uh, experience for me just to learn what is just to be an obedient. So. And I'll affirm, I'll affirm I read the letter that Sylvia wrote to the school board and really it was a letter that oozed of these are my convictions. They are strong convictions. This is what I see. This is what I disagree. However, I'm totally submitting it to you as the administrators of the school. Whatever you decide to do, like, I bless you in it. I may not be a part of it, but I bless you in it. It's a beautifully um, submissive letter. Uh, it, was a, it was assertive, but it was very submissive. And the result was that it had a great impact yeah. on, the, on the administrators and the school. Yeah. And it gave you That's a cool. door to be heard to be open, to be heard. So that was a, that's a great example. So you can disobey delegated authorities, but you can only do so if you keep a submissive spirit. And you can even voice your disagreement submissively. It is possible that's right. to voice it you in must. a spirit of submission. Yeah. yeah. Do we have time for Michael? I know we're we're, we're just, just a little bit over, eight, but, but come on, ahead, Michael, Michael, jump in. Uh, yeah, you guys have really covered the. The, my part of the topics really well. I just wanted to bring up that occasionally Jesus himself uh, was situational. And I'm thinking about him at the Pool of Shalom. And everybody, I'm sure, was crying out and needed healing. It was pretty obvious. Everybody there had an equal need as the one. But God the Father picked out that one, and Jesus did only what the Father told him to do even though his heart was probably breaking for everybody else that had the need, but he submitted himself to that individual in an individual one-by-one -one case. Yes. And he told that one man, take up your bed. That means that you're not coming back here. Go ahead and pack up the house because we're going home. And yes. with that example, it was, it was given to us over and over again. I mean, he stood yes. on the hill overlooking Jerusalem and wept. Oh, Jerusalem, oh, yes. Jerusalem. He could have waved his hand over all of the city and it done a miracle and everybody was completely everybody got rich and everybody was healed but good. he was totally submitted every single step of the way so good thank you michael one other quick uh example of that is uh, after jesus is raised from the dead ascended to the right hand of the father peter and john are going to the temple for a prayer meeting and who do they see laying there a man that's been there 18 years jesus walked through that passageway many times why did he not heal that man you think he wanted to you know he wanted to but what's he committed to he's committed to hearing the father's voice and doing whatever the father says and when we do that our conscience will be clear we'll live for relationship as a priority not just having our way or just hanging out with people that will do it our way and god will bless us in that process i hope you're able to join us for uh, the Sons and Daughters Conference. It's going to be a blast. The Lord has confirmed me in a number of ways that, that this is on his radar too. And it's not just going to be a fun gathering. He's going to show up. Uh, and it's going to be amazing to see how he fills us and strengthens us and calls some of us into some new phases of ministry. So, Father, I just bless this conversation. I pray that even tonight as we go to bed, you'll keep talking to us about it. Show us ways that we can live as sons, not just peacekeepers, but peacemakers, that we may be called the sons of God and live in the love of the Father for everyone. I bless you for it in Jesus' name. Thank you, everyone, for your input. Thank you for being with us. We love you, 
And uh, we're really blessed to have you as friends. You are a, a gift to us. God bless you. If you have any other questions or other things you want to share, just email us, and, and we love to add that to our conversation. Blessings. Michael, Hannah, Nathan, um, Andres, looking forward to hugging you in person. Yes. It'll be so fun. Andres, I cannot wait to introduce you to the congregation. They've heard you. They've heard your name so many times. I can't wait to introduce you and Natalia. And uh, John Drackett, all of you. Blessings to you. Have a great evening. <laughs>